You are listening to Down Home. The Rhythm of Life by Michael Rosen. Hand on the bridge, feel the rhythm of the train. Hand on the window, feel the rhythm of the rain. Hand on your throat, feel the rhythm of your talk. Hand on your leg, feel the rhythm of your walk. Hand in the sea, feel the rhythm of the tide. Hand on your heart, feel the rhythm inside. Hand on the rhythm, feel the rhythm of the rhyme. Hand on your life, feel the rhythm of time. Hand on your life, feel the rhythm of time. Hand on your life, feel the rhythm of time. This episode, we share some of life's rhythms with Jay's dad, David Skinner, as he tells us about being a young black musician in Halifax back in the 1960s and 70s. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience by two black men. And today we have a special episode and uh, I'm Jay Jones. And uh, as always, we have the the wise one himself, Derek Wise. What's up? And uh, we have a special guest today. We have my father, David Skinner, the man, the myth, the rhythm. Uh, we call him Dave Rhythm, Rhythm Stick Skinner. So <laughs> how you doing, Dad? Thanks for, thanks for coming. I'm doing fine. Nice to uh, be able to help out here. And uh, yeah, let's move on. Very right. cool. Awesome. Right on. Well, I, I wanted to just sort of start off um, uh, talking about your experience in Nova Scotia. So what was it like uh, for a young man living in Halifax in that era like the 60s the 70s you must have seen so much but in your you know what you experienced um what it was uh, a very unusual time where you you had to be careful where you were what area of the city you were going into because there were gangs um and uh if you were a black man in 1960 going into uh, where i live now in the north end you had to be very careful of some of the families, the Quins and whatnot, um, trying to uh, beat you up. Wow. We also had um, problems with American sailors who would come in we, and, uh, and try and take our women away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we uh, we remember that actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that still goes on today. That 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 went on through throughout the night, the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, (laughs) at the the liquor dome, everyone wearing sailor suits. I was like, is this the YMCA? You know? (laughs) Wow. Interesting that you say YMCA because in the sixties, I was uh, at QEH, the high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was uh, a white-owned uh, and uh, group called uh, Twix at the YMCA. Okay. And uh, you had to know someone if you wanted to go and dance. Oh, okay. Wow. Other than that, it was Halifax's private parties, house parties, and stuff like that. Uh, the music was uh, like the Raindrops and Bucky Adams and Joe Seeley. Uh, I remember having uh, sitting on the steps of Gary Street Hall, listening to Gary, 
to um, Joe Seeley and Bucky Adams. Oh, and wow. later on, I got a phone call uh, from Joe saying that his drummer, who was an American, couldn't get across the um, border. And would I do a gig with him at uh, in Dartmouth? Oh. And that was, uh, I said to, uh, I remember saying to Joe, Joe, I'm not half the drummer your, uh, your Chuck is. And he said, don't worry about that. I'll tell you everything you know. All you have to do is listen to me. So I showed up at the gig. He had a Hammond organ playing, playing the bass pedals. And he would yell over me, over to me and say, Dave, this is how this tune's going to go. And away we went. It was oh, wow. wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, you learn by kind of improv, eh? You know what I mean? Yes. On the yeah, fly. Totally. Yeah. Yes. I used to stand up next to my uh, mom's refrigerator, which had a um, radio on it, and listen to every song that came through so I could try and learn. Because oh. I knew that in Halifax, you had to be versatile. Um, it, it was more than just being in a, a black drummer. Mm-hmm. You had to be able to play country. Uh, you had to be able to play uh, Bing Crosby, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, that kind of lends sort of to the the next question, like sort of having different eras, like, you know, all those musics and just being versatile. And I sense like in the 60s and 70s, you kind of have to be versatile just to be survival, knowing when to fit in. And do you recollect um, any racism or lessons that your parents might have uh, received, Gene Skinner and Doug Skinner? Um, yeah, they were, uh, mom was uh, from Fredericton mm-hmm. and um, knew a lot of uh, uh, people from that uh, era, area. Mm-hmm. And uh, people like Willie O'Ree, who you have to understand that uh, there were many places where if you were from New Brunswick, and you came to Halifax, you would go to a house party or get called in for dinner and stuff like that. So I met, due to mom and dad's um, influence, I met a lot of uh, uh, high-end sports people. Rocky Jones would drop into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, dad was dad was part of a bowling league, and mm-hmm. then he ended up being um, a manager of... Um, uh, what were they called? The midgets, hockey, uh, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, a lot of people uh, um, would come to talk about uh, hockey and the different sports that he was involved with. Mm-hmm. He managed. He uh, um, he did really well with mm-hmm. that. And then, so because of all this influence and people dropping in, you dropped in for dinner, mm-hmm. and you you. Uh, you talked about the way things are going in your area mm-hmm. and what could be done in our area. There was violence in Halifax. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a time where um, the police, um, if you were driving, if they would be driving along the street and if they saw someone who uh, might be of interest, you could be thrown in the backseat of the car and beaten up. Mm-hmm. and i mean b- being of interest is just being black right you know what I yes mean? yeah yeah so that that must have been crazy so so doug experienced some of that then i guess right um yeah um yeah. different uh groups of uh you know like uh the 50s the 60s um in uh 
my father was on the railway. Uh, he was a porter. That's and right. then he, he uh, came home and worked at Klein's uh, selling shoes. And then um, I remember him one day uh, trying to get a pay raise and was told that the um, Brunswick Street um, group would decide whether or not uh, he married, uh, merited the uh, black uh, rate of pay. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very much. Um, there was, that happened to me as well at, at Buckley's uh, back in the uh, 70s, I, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. I was working at uh, at Buckley's selling drums, right. and uh, I asked for a raise, and my owner said that she would see if uh, my salary merited um, what a black man would make on Godigan Street. Wow. So just to clarify, Buckley's is a music music uh, supply store. Uh, yeah, where, where was it on, on Godigan Street? Yeah, just around the corner of Cornwallis and Godigan. Yeah. I remember Buckley's well. Yeah, yeah a couple doors yeah. down from that uh, uh, pharmacy that was on the corner. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah, uh, I remember, I remember going there after church sometimes to visit you after church and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Mum would make sure that uh, you came by and yeah, we yeah. we had contact. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, now, so, so yeah, so you know, being able to see all these sort of musical things. And it sounded like, like underground kind of times where, you know, these secret dances and everything, but what was that moment, that spark that made you want to go boom bap on the drum? You know what I mean? That, that, that really hit you and go, Oh man, this is it. This is that feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, It was an interesting time because um, mom had a foster son from the colored home, uh, Teddy Ah, Johnson. Uh, yeah, and, I remember. Yeah, and Teddy um, was going to uh, St. Pat's, um, and they were starting a band there, a marching band. Mm-hmm. And he went for a couple of lessons and came home and said, no, I don't like it. And uh, he gave me the drumsticks. And I went to the uh, marching band, and the guy didn't like the way I was holding the sticks or said I was playing too loud. So I went fine. And, uh, but I was going to QEH. I was, I was about 18, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, walking across the commons, um, a fellow came up to me and said, I have a little rock and roll band. Do you know of any drummers? And I said, yeah, I'm one. And <laughs> he said, do you have a drum set? And I said, yes. He said, well, we're getting together every uh, Sunday. Why don't you come by with your drum set? Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was working at Sobeys as a karaoke boy, and mm-hmm. I knew that somebody had a drum set. So I went and bought it for seventy-five bucks. Showed up <laughs> at uh, showed up at uh, Earl's place, and uh, my dad was a piano player originally in the area, and had this huge collection of of seventy-eights. So he, we would listen every Sunday. And uh, unbeknownst to me, the drummers I was listening to were Buddy Rich and Gene Karupa. So I had a great swing swing uh, groove. Right. So I showed up at the uh, gig or at uh, Earl's place and said, uh, okay, what's the first tune? And it was uh, And I Love Her by the Beatles. 
And so I started playing the swing beat and Earl stopped the band and said, that's not the right beat. And I said, well, that's my beat. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, don't you know um, how to play uh, eighth notes? And I said, no. So he showed me. And then uh, he said, I thought you could play drums. I said, well, these are my drums and I can play this beat. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, so I was in the band, but the neat thing about Earl was he was intelligent musically. He mm-hmm. would show the bass player his part, show me my part, show mm-hmm. me the, write out the words for the singer. And then the idea was every Sunday we had to have that song together. So mm-hmm. I would come home, set my drums up downstairs in the um, cellar, mm-hmm. start playing and listen to all the uh, Mice and rats run away, and then <laughs> learn a tune. Wow! Yeah. Now Earl's place was that was that the place that was behind Margaret Road? That's where you um, met my mother, right? Right. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Earl's place was on uh, the corner of um, of uh, Agricola, and just before you went over across the Commons, right? It was still, a, still in the North End. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So we would learn a song, and before we knew it, um, we were the house band at uh, Brunswick Street United, and uh, we were all playing all the songs of the day, whatever was on the radio, we would learn and play. So essentially, you you pretty much self-taught your, you, yeah. you know, you self-taught, self-taught yourself to play the drums. So that's pretty yeah. interesting. Because yeah. of a few people we've had on this uh, podcast this year have mentioned you and being an excellent teacher and they learned uh, lots of stuff from you and, you know, you kind of mentored them in certain ways, you know what I mean? So I felt, I felt because of my background that I had to pass the information on. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Now uh, this is an interesting uh, aspect of that. Now, from your perspective, is there a difference between being black and being a black musician? Is, yes. is there a, yeah? What, what, what would time. those differences be? Um, uh, if you knew someone that where you could go, like there were jam sessions at St. Lawrence uh, Church Hall in Fairview. Right. If you knew someone and you could go there someone would drive you you would go there and sit in and you the reason you would do that is to keep on learning new material and stuff like that so as a a black musician all of a sudden you're on stage with a bunch of white musicians but you're all playing a particular song that uh, it might be my girl by uh, the temptations or whatever you know you'd learn you'd figure out You'd go and watch and then figure out what you needed to learn mm-hmm. to uh, sit in and play. And be- music was the thing that it crossed all barriers. You didn't really, weren't really aware of your color when you were sitting on stage playing with people. Mm-hmm. So there was a certain level of acceptance uh, yes, amongst exactly that. different uh, mm-hmm. races of musicians, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, did that they, did that continue on after the jam session, like w- like in in other type of social situations? If you you ran into a musician that you used to jam with, would there still be that acceptance on on the on the street? Uh, yes, 
yeah, you guys would uh, you would uh, sort of you know talk about how the uh, the last jam session went, right? And perhaps what uh, people could work towards next, stuff like that. So yeah, that always um, transcended the the color idea. Right. Yeah. It was, the, the 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 language of music, you know, it, yeah, it is yeah. it is universal, and if you yeah. can see from that sort of level, everything's fine. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So you, you talked a little bit about uh, the '60s and '70s. One of the big moments in Halifax was what happened to Africville back in the day, and the response from the community was a lot of protests and things like that. Do you re do you remember any of those protests or? I do. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, uncle, uh, Raymond Lawrence, had mm -hmm. a boat that he would keep in Africville. He was married to uh, uh, Ev Carvery, and her uh, family was one of the founding families in, in Africville. So um, Raymond and I would go over and we'd go out on his little rowboat and catch Pollock under, under well, yeah catch pollock and different cods and stuff um when the city decided to take over africville yeah they did it under the guise of well uh we have a, a land that we could put a bridge on we also have it would be better for the uh, inhabitants if they there was no uh, running water there was no uh sewer sewage or sewer um so maybe we should set take the land and and uh, make it better but what they didn't know was that the village of africville and it was a village was really sub uh, self-sufficient um they lived uh, they had ways of getting around the way city council saw them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, I moved to an area which had been uh, part of the reclaimed land of Africville. Mm -hmm. And my neighbor at the time was uh, a lady, an older lady in her 70s. And I remember saying to her, uh, how long have you been here? And she said, well, when the... the um, uh, city decided to take the land from the village of Africa. We, um, we got a call at uh, five in the morning saying that uh, we had an opportunity to, if we had $3,000 to buy a cottage lot um, that was going to become available. Really? So what the city did was go to the residents of Africa and if you had a lease, um, that was one thing, but they offered um, the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take you to Mogri Park and we'll buy your land for a dollar or five dollars. or So someone in city council uh, made an awful lot of money mm -hmm. buying these, uh, uh, what they called cottage lots. Right. And, and then uh, uh, giving the Africville residents very, very little money. Yeah. And if, if they didn't have a lease, then their land was expropriated. Wow. So what I saw was walking along the street one day was a whole line of garbage trucks with people 
sitting in them and uh, stoves and fridges and stuff be headed towards Mulgrave Park. And I knew of one family, gentleman had um, barbecue in, the, in, the, uh, in his uh, tub. He didn't know where it belonged or how to use it. Mm-hmm. They had just given it to him and he'd moved into uh, Mulgrave Park. Wow. Uh-huh. Later on, I moved into, um, um, where was I, Jason? <laughs> I, the, the Hydrostone, right? Or um, I've been here, but it was... Uh, Uniac Square. Uh, yeah. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's Uniac Square, yeah. Uniac Square, oh, yeah. <laughs> Even I forgot. We're getting old, Dad. <laughs> some things stay, some things don't. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Uniac Square. I remember, I mean, I spent uh, all my Sunday uh, afternoons there after church, you know, yeah. with Nanny in my early years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there, there would be a lot of um, residents from Africville and the Uniac Square area. Yes, very much. But yeah. I think between the Mulgrave Park and Uniac Square. Yes. Between the two. Yeah, that's interesting. I had no idea that um, the city offered uh, residents to buy plots. Uh, there, it, it wouldn't have been a full development because a lot of that land's empty right now. But I didn't know. It must, it must be towards the... Um, the uh, the north end of Africville, I guess you could say, right? That they yes. offered the plots, yeah, 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 because there yeah, are there could... are houses there in the yeah. towards the north end of uh, at where Africville yeah. used to be. Right. Think in terms of where the the uh, tavern, all the way, yes. you know, all the way straight along that uh, um, bunch of houses where the um, drive, um, yeah. We're yeah. talking about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I had no idea because it literally the the residents were offered um, pennies on the dollar yeah. for their land. Like they, I think I read one story where um, uh, a lady was. It was basically it added up to five hundred dollars, but she was given um, initially like forty dollars. Yeah. And then, pay, of- yeah, and then payments over like a five-year period that ended up to 500 bucks wow. for, for her yes. land. And they basically just bulldozed her house. Yeah. And yeah. then to, for them to turn around and then sell those plots of empty land for $3,000, that's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Just goes to show you what, you know, what, what you're up against, man. You know, mm. especially the laws that are written where they can manipulate you into sort of yeah. giving up your land. Um, but just, yeah, a follow, you, just a follow-up question just to change direction just a little bit you, you're you're currently living in Halifax yeah um but you you have through your music career you've traveled a little bit right yes around. yeah was was there any particular reason why you decided to stay in Halifax I know it's home but uh you know seeing other places was there was there any motivation to uh to actually move away ever um, it was interesting because my career uh, pitted me against being versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing in, in 74, um, a band, 75, a band called Xylem, which uh, I signed a contract to give them a year. And we went, we went all over the place, Montreal. Um, we 
pretty much uh, Newfoundland a lot. And that's playing every night. Now, one of the, uh, the downside of that was I signed on knowing full well that I wasn't going to get paid very much. Right. And, but the music uh, drew me and uh, the, the places that we played and stuff, um, we all camped out in an SMT bus. I was uh, at the back of the bus under, underneath the wheels or above the wheels, I should say. <laughs> that, was my, that was my bunk. But um, the, like the music uh, was incredible. And uh, to some of the people that was 75, uh, I'm still really, really good friends. And uh, it, it was a, a family kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, one day I got a call from uh, uh, Charlie Acourt asking me um, if I could give him a month uh, of, of, his, of my time. And he said that uh, we were going to open for Proko Harem, uh, the band that did White or Shade of Pale. And we were going to 18 nights in uh, Germany. So I saw uh, Berlin. I saw um, all of the, the main places. We would play a half an hour in front of Proko Harem. And then um, they would do a two-hour set. We'd wait for them and then go find an English pub to have a beer. Cool. Wow. wow so yeah. there were things like that which contributed to me uh, getting better and better in those kinds of situations and then being able to pass the information on. Mm -hmm. I realized that I had been very uh, lucky to be in those kinds of situations. Wow. But, yeah. then, but then the call of home came and you had to go home. Yeah, it, yeah, it was funny because uh, I had the opportunity to join Matt Minglewood and the Universal Power. Oh, wow. And because the bass player uh, with that band was uh, Donnie Hand and we were together in Xylem. So mm -hmm. um, they were in St. John, New Brunswick, the band was. And um, Donnie said, if you want to join, you know, it, you can. And I rehearsed. I did a, uh, yeah, I rehearsed with them. But then after being on the road for about five years, I said, no, I'm coming home. So yeah. I did. And interestingly enough, when I came back home, there was an agent who needed someone to play country, to play rock and roll. So he kept me busy for the next four years. He would mm -hmm. call me. I've got a band that needs a drummer. I'd go mm -hmm. out on the road, come back. Uh, maybe the band would break up and then I'd go to a jam session and somebody else had asked me, why don't you come back? Uh, you know, I need a drummer. And I did that for, yeah, quite some time. Yeah. And, um, and also uh, the Mason Chapman band, you know, yeah. that Which was started. Uh, yeah. From that was it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, that you guys are pretty well known, you know, in Canada and stuff like that. Doris yes. Mason, renowned jazz pianist and stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember I actually still have uh, one of your albums um, that you did. Um, and I was always fascinated by the song Just One Bullet, you yeah. know, because I was like, and then I was like, oh, that's my father playing and you're singing too. And I was like, oh man, he can drum and sing. He's doing his thing, you know? So it was, <laughs> it was pretty cool. And you know what's yeah. funny though, dad, I really want to say, I know we always haven't been close, um, but we have been getting closer over the years. But yeah. the the funny thing is, is I, I realized sort of how much I did get from you, you know, 
and not knowing I got it from you in the sense of like, I love music. I mean, I don't play drums per se, but like the words that I say are, are rhythmic and, you know, I, there's yes. a pattern and everything like that. And I embrace that side of it. I actually love it because it's really, and that's the thing, like you talking about music really makes me know where I get that feeling from, because I feel the same way sometimes and yeah. have great experiences in, in band situations and learning, you know, and um, it, it was kind of, it's something I always had in me since a child. So yeah. I want, I want to thank you for that because it, it, you know, that rhythm has brought us together, you know, over the last 10 years or so where we've kind of healed our, our, our relationship and, yes. you know, and our relationship just was not good because we were just apart. Right. And we didn't I, know, I agree. We yeah. didn't know uh, what the connection was, but once you realize that connection, it's an amazing thing. So I just wanted to always say that to you, and uh, and I thank and you. I, I love you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, this- I love you too. Um, one of the bands that I'm playing in now is uh, an African-based band called Moja Makani, oh, and they damn. did a uh, uh, an album called Rhythms of Life, and I totally get what Jason's saying because we have that rhythm of life we connect a lot yeah yeah that's uh this is really special oh my goodness man i'm glad i was uh a part of this you guys to connect and have this conversation and be a part of this uh uh, dave do you have any anything to uh end our conversation on at all um just the fact that again it's rhythms of life and they're out there and you you grab them and hold them dear and whether it's a drum set or what have you, um, the more you work at it, um, one of the biggest things I've always said, if someone says, you know, well, what's your secret? It's perseverance. The more you do it, the better it gets. And at one point working at Music Stop, I got hired to go up to uh, Cape Breton and put on for about three years, um, the uh, drum show. And I was, uh, I was around and um, all of these really famous drummers, uh, Bernard Purdy, um, Billy Cobham, and all of them had the rhythms of life. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever they were doing, um, they, they participated. And even though it was a clinic that they were doing for other people, uh, you yeah. saw that that same uh, thread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, awesome man. That's great. Indeed. Yeah, Jay Jones, take us home, man. Yeah, well, Dad, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad I, you know, I can hear some of your story, learn a little bit more, and connect a little bit more, and uh, know that that rhythm of life is still within us all and you know we're just living and learning and getting through some crazy times but um you know and music always gets us through um connections and family gets us through and we just have to remember those you know that we're all in this together as they've been saying for the last year and a half but uh it's been it's been our pleasure to 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 talk to you thanks dad thank you thank you dude love you guys all Bye, right. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> breaking new crab, breaking new crab, breaking new crab, simple breaking new crab, breaking new crab, breaking new crab. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe.
subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. On a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, McX. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep. No time to sleep as you reach your next. Phase. The song Breaking New Ground from the Breakdown. A brand new path, breaking down the sum to one, feeling free. I just laugh with the joy of a beat boy, just kicking it live. A connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed.